record. Okay, thank you uh, for uh, uh, listening. This is a special episode of the Edgar Rice Burroughs podcast, which uh, normally I host this with Jess Terrell and Scott Stewart, and we discuss in detail a specific book written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This is a special episode where I am interviewing two people who have just read Land That Time Forgot for the first time. Uh, we did do an episode on that early in our podcast uh, history. I believe it's our third one. Um, but we're going to be getting impressions of this book for, from people who have read it the first time. Uh, with us, we have my nephew, Josiah DeForest. Um, and Josiah, this was the first Edgar Rice Burroughs book you've ever read, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And how old are you? 25. 25. Okay. I may have to check the family bylaws. You may be getting thrown out of the family for waiting so long. Oh, <laughs> books, but I will, I'll check on the bylaws and let you know. Okay? Oh, all right. Let me uh, know. <laughs> and if you're being kicked out of the family, then I'll let you know and then never speak to you again, but we'll find all out. Right, about sounds it. good. <laughs> okay. And also with us is Ben Alvarez. And if you have, uh, if you go to our website, ERB bot pod, erbpodcast.blogspot.com, the excellent banner you see there was designed and drawn by Ben. Uh, he also did the banner for my own blog, Comics, Old Time Radio, and other cool stuff. Uh, he's a superb artist, and you can see his work at his DeviantArt uh, page, which I will post in the show notes for anyone interested. So, Ben, thank you for being here. Uh, and this was the first time you had led, read Land That Time Forgot as well, correct? Yeah, I've read a lot of the you know, Mars series. And I, mm -hmm. back when I was a teenager, like 13, I think is when I read Tarzan of the Apes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and of course I've seen the, uh, the two films, Land the Time Forgot, People the Time Forgot. So it's interesting to kind of see some of the parallels, things that they changed, things that they were budgetarily unable to do, but paid homage to. Yes. <laughs> And I, I will say that I enjoy those movies enormously, even though it looks like they had maybe $3.14 to spend on the special effects. They sincerely tried to do the story well. And it was a good cast, too. So, um, uh, uh, Josiah, we'll start with you. You read Land That Time Forgot, so the first of the three novels. And yes. you enjoy, did you enjoy it? I did. Um, I thought it was, it was a great uh, length of story. Uh, it's really, honestly, like, it's really compact. You can really read it in a, a pretty decent amount of time, even for me, who's a, a slow reader. It mm -hmm. takes me a while to get through any book. But uh, it was really cool to go through Edgar Rice Burroughs and just see how he's able to lay out his story, uh, draw a picture in your mind, and really take you through the story and just show you the different points and different aspects and, and show you the different characters and how they are crucial and uh, able to bring stuff to the scenarios of the story. Mm -hmm. Plus, they were dinosaurs, so that's always cool. That's always cool, yeah. Yeah, did you enjoy the bits on the submarine, though, all the, the capturing the sub and the Germans recapturing it and all that? Or did you feel impatient to get to the dinosaurs? Or um... I did feel kind of impatient, yes, because I was like, okay, and I kind of noticed it kind of splits about halfway when they come mm. up to Casback. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's really about the halfway into the novel, and I'm like, they spent a lot of time, but... Um, it was really cool to see kind of the back and forth between the uh, the Germans and uh, the good guys mm -hmm. to kind of see and and really show that it, it could go either way. Like mm -hmm. either side could really take control and like make a difference of where they're going and where what they're going to do. And um, they really laid out the story well to the lead up of Kazbak and really giving them a plausible reason to enter the island 
um, for fresh water. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made it. And uh, it was really laid out well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Burroughs is really good at plot construction. He'll come yeah. up with an idea that might be bizarre in real life, but he'll make it work. Um, and I will mention, by the way, that this, that Land That Time Forgotten and People That Time Forgotten, Out of Time's Abyss, were printed and were originally published in three consecutive issues of Blue Book Magazine, which was a pulp in 1918. So, and, and Burroughs considered it one long novel. So it's, since then, it's like the paperback you showed me is Ace Books. They're the yeah. ones who first divided it into a trilogy. Um, cool. So, so uh, what, you, what took half the novel um, was really just like one sixth of the whole story. So, gotcha. so it take, you know, you read Land of Time Forgot, it's like it's an awful long time to get to the, uh, to the uh, dinosaurs, even though I also enjoy that part. But if you read all three and consider it one big story, then it's just really one small fraction of it before you're there. That makes sense. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I feel like you really do have to consider it one long story because mm -hmm. there are so many questions that are left unanswered mm -hmm. at the end of the first one that are then picked up and answered in two and three. Yeah. And people that have forgotten out of times of this, mm -hmm. even though it does feel like Burroughs has to kind of, he either has lost his own thread of thought <laughs> or realized that he needed to address something and had to kind of almost retcon things. Like the in the first book of the uh, trilogy, uh, the Germans leave. Mm -hmm. And it seems obvious that they've gotten out. Yeah. And in the third book, he has to kind of come up with this excuse for them having to come back just so you can have, you know, some conclusion to that story, some closure to what happened. <laughs> and with the German. Yeah, because they, they, they'd run low on oil again, right? We're coming back to refine some oil, more oil. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, because they had gone out and they had tried, they'd, they'd encountered the same trouble that they encountered in the first one, mm. which was anytime they approached somebody, they didn't believe their flag. Mm. For some reason, they were getting, because I guess it was because they were so close to allied waters mm -hmm. that that's what they kept running into so everybody started shooting at them as soon as they saw them mm -hmm. so ended up just not being able to make any advancement and have to pull back to get more oil and resupply and that's when you know all that happens in the third book yeah and i think von schoenvert was such a like a despicable villain I think Burroughs probably felt that you had to hear about him getting his come up or see his get him get get his comeuppance. You know, <laughs> yeah, even if he had put in, oh, we're all rescued. I wonder what happened to Siobhan Schoenberg. Oh, here's a news item. His, his U-boat got sunk. He's dead. That wouldn't have been as satisfying as like watching him get killed, uh, I believe, by one of his own mutinying crewmen, right? He just pushed them too far and then got bayoneted yeah, by one his, of his own guys. His, um, yeah. Yeah, because his uh, discipline has been so brutal i mm -hmm. think it's also quite interesting that you've got this up with him and Liss, mm -hmm. you know from the beginning and there's that little coincidence but no, stories are built on coincidence yeah but that i haven't used my german for like anything but little things like this since i was a kid um you know it's like what are the nazis saying and indiana jones mm -hmm. <laughs> you know or the racketeer uh but schonwitz is actually almost literally translatable as pretty words. Oh, is it? Huh. Okay. 
That's, yeah, I never knew that. That's interesting. So, so, uh, so it's interesting that he that you know he has mm-hmm. this facade, mm-hmm. these pretty words. You know, he speaks about you know country and loyalty and his duty and all those kinds of things. But then he's an absolute savage. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, as far as actually applying those to you know people that he's entered into an agreement with or even his own men. Yeah. So, um, and that comes out to bite him in the end. Now, I think you can argue, let's see if you guys agree with this. You can argue that there is a theme running in how Bowen Tyler is a fair leader of his men and they ha- has his loyalty because of that uh, compared to Schoenvort, who is like a total jerk, including to his own men. And then in the, out of, at the end of Out of Time's Abyss, when they show up again, that betrays him and he ends up getting killed by his own guys. Um, assessment, yeah. So, well, I think uh, that's why you definitely have to consider it one long book because yeah. part of the other commentary that's made by by that difference in leadership, mm-hmm. it's also the idea of the evolution that's going on in the people that they're meeting. The people mm-hmm. that they're meeting have a very binary philosophy: kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. Anything that is not like me doesn't belong here and has to be gotten rid of you know if you're ready to evolve up they cast you out if they catch you before you reach the other land they kill you which is kind of weird considering everybody's aspiring to evolve to the next tribe but the lack of evolution in the leadership style of schoenvorts is you know like you said kind of the opposite of the more civilized evolved compassionate form of leadership that Bowen has. I mean, mm-hmm. Bowen is overly cautious about using violence and such. Yeah. Even when the Germans have are are in physical mutiny with guns, you know, retaking the ship, he doesn't. Tr- he tries to make sure nobody gets shot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, even I, though he is absolutely justified in <laughs> shooting Schoenberg's <laughs> when he comes down the ladder. <laughs> You know, it has a gun pointed right at him. It's like, mm-hmm. no, he just kind of knocks the gun aside and takes him. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, and uh, looking, Ben, looking at the at it as one long novel, we, it was originally published in three parts in a magazine. So the sudden change from Bowen Tyler to Tom Billings as the narrator, and then in the third book, the switching to the third person narration, um, does that seem at all awkward to you, reading them, reading them together as just one novel, or does it still work? Well, there's voice changes that happen even within the individual books, mm-hmm. right? Because first you have the unknown author, probably Burroughs, in the classical yeah. you know, trope of the time, that mm-hmm. I, the author, am the one that discovered this thermos, and I delivered it to the family. Yeah. You know, I read this, this account. So mm-hmm. it changes from his unidentified voice to uh, Bowen's voice in the first one. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, he's back because he's then talking about, I'm taking this to his family. And they're at the family. I went and I met their personal secretary, who is this very competent individual. And then all of a sudden it t- turns into Billings account of after we got everything together, we got, you know, we headed for Caspac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. There's another voice change in the third book. I'm trying to remember where it is. It's also interesting in the third book, he tries his first dialectic writing. He tries to put accents on people, 
which he hasn't done in the previous that's true he uh, chapter the previous yeah. books yeah. um, um yeah. Brad, bradley is shown more i think even as a leader than uh bowen is mm -hmm. you know bowen is almost a a, a mediator between the two sides because he's the only american mm. right mm. but in the third book bradley is very much in charge of his little squad that's going out looking for bowen and hopefully lifts yeah um you know and he's yeah. very much a man's man and you know that uh, kind of stuff mm -hmm. that's a good way uh, to put it yeah um, and I think those I think those differences are deliberate. I think Burroughs could often be more thematic than people give him credit for. Um, and and so yeah. Now, what do you, um, Josiah? I know that you read just the first one, so that you had some unanswered questions about the weird way evolution was working on the planet. I did, um, man. From yeah, from a Ben, from a science fiction point of view, do you think? Uh, um, not worrying about whether it's scientifically accurate, but just how he presented the odd way evolution worked on Casback. What did you feel it was consistent and dramatically effective? Yeah, I mean, I think that it works very much for the time. You know, understanding is different for, mm. you know, as science progresses. That's the point of science. Yeah. You know, is that it observes and learns from what it has observed and what has gone before. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, you know, for that kind of time. It's the same kind of thing when you read about, you know, uh, Frankenstein working with galvanic response. Yeah. You know, and reanimate a body <laughs> mm -hmm. to make Adam. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of what we do. When we actually get to the point that we can create Einstein-Rosen bridges, yeah. they're going to operate a little bit differently than we expected them to. Yeah. There's going to be things that we did not foresee. It'll change how we think about that. Yeah, but looked at looking at it as a as a work of fiction, I felt that the world he built in Casback was self consistent and was dr dramatically effective, uh, without worrying about whether or not he was getting the science right in terms of his own time or not. And uh, it's one of the things I enjoy about it. It's got that mystery of, you know, we don't see any children. What's going on with that? What is this going? You know. What does the tribesman mean when he means he's gotten the call to go up to the next tribe and all of that? Um, um, and I thought when you finally found out what was going on, it all made sense in, in terms of its own world. Um, I'm going to put a quick kind of uh, technical question here. Mm -hmm. um, do we want to confine this conversation to just kind of the first book for now since Josiah's only read the first one and let him read the second and third. Before we before we started recording, he said, Don't worry about spoilers. Although you, you, yeah. know, you really should you really should read the whole trilogy, Josiah. It I, I need I need to know the, the most burning question though is do we ever find out what happens to knobs? Yeah. Yes. He uh, he shows up in the second one and attaches himself to Tom Billings, who all who knows him from the old days when he was friends. Oh, thank goodness. And, I was like, What happened proves, to knobs? He proves to be epic. I tell you, Burroughs, Burroughs came up with great pets that you always come to think of as awesome. I mean, in other books, those pets are lions or Martian callets or hyena dons, but Nobbs is up there with them. He's just an epic dog. So 
He learns, he learns to live, he learns to live, you know, there's a scene in the first one where he, what, he bites the Allosaurus tail and gets thrown through the air and comes back to yeah. Okay. Yeah. He actually learns to handle himself fighting bigger animals. So he's, he gets to be awesome. So yeah, don't worry about poor knobs. He does, he does well by himself. I was scared. I was like, did he get eaten or did he like take over like a, a dog tribe somewhere on the island, become like the leader? <laughs> I have this image of, dog, of him leading a pack of hyenodons in the wild, taking down mastodons. So, oh, yes. So, I loved uh, how he was, uh, he was Prince Knobs, wasn't he? Uh, I think he might have been, yeah. Yeah, uh, that actually caught yeah, me off guard. Like the first couple pages, I was like, the prince was at my feet. And I was like, why is this guy? So oh, it's a dog. I see. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay, now yeah, I have a bit of... I, go ahead, Ben. Airedales, Airedales themselves, I think, are a, a kingly breed. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And and I just I love knobs. I think Burroughs was a dog person because even when his pets, the even when the creatures that become pets of the heroes are prehistoric creatures or or aliens or whatever, they always come out very dog-like. So I think Burroughs was just a dog lover, and that reflects. And there's always a theme of treating them with kindness, and then they'll become loyal to you. You know, yeah. which I like. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of like the overarching theme mm -hmm. in his in his stories, you mm -hmm. know, is that is that compassion always pays off. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. very rare that compassion just gets you in one hundred percent pure trouble. It may backfire yeah. on you, but the compassion you did someplace else will save you from even that error. Yeah, because they 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 befriend that one tribesman. Uh, is it Ank Ock, whatever his name was, and he I remember. Yeah, um, and he ends up being fairly loyal to them because of that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. That's another thing that they explore later in the third book mm -hmm. when, they, when they're showing their, their philosophy. Mm -hmm. When they do finally reach tribes that have evolved to the point of having you know, morals and philosophical inclinations of any kind, mm -hmm. that even though they still are in that binary thought. They also have a binary thought about trust. Yeah. If somebody does something that shows that they're trustworthy, then you give them your trust. Yeah. And there's actually another example from the second book where Tom Billings rescues a horse out of like quickstand or the swamp or whatever it was. And then he has a loyal friend there. Um, so, so there's now, a, say yeah. the, the second book out of the three mm -hmm. is my favorite. It's the one that I like the most. Um, probably because it is the more straight up adventure story mm -hmm. of the three. The first one is very much, you know, the cat and mouse of trying to survive on the first, the first one is a survival story. First, you're trying to survive mm -hmm. the tension between the political, you know, aspects on the sub and just yeah. trying to survive on a sub in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Then you get to this island that's totally hostile to you and you're trying to survive there. And Bowen, all he's doing is he is just moving further and further and further up to try and get, he's trying to find lists, yes, but he's also trying to get away from the danger that is ever present the lower down you are until he basically ends up at the tip of the world where he's safe. You know, he throws the dragon off the top of the world and takes its place. He doesn't have the power that it does, but he has the safety that it had enjoyed, mm -hmm. you know, and then he finds lists and brings her up there and it's just surviving. Yeah. 
The second one, he becomes master of his world. You know, he goes and he makes friends amongst the tribes. He goes and he, even though he himself has his leftover colonial kind of thoughts, you know, that, well, yes, this is a beautiful woman, but I, she's still a savage, mm -hmm. right? So there couldn't possibly be anything there. It's just our circumstance. Even though he does admit to himself in the middle, but then Bros has to dial it back to go back to his, his two modes of romance, where it's the standoffish, you know, person, usually the woman, because Liss is doing the same thing as Dejah Thoris in the uh, first, you know, A Princess of Mars. Yeah. You know, that there's been a misunderstanding and it's causing the person that he's interested in to be distant. Mm -hmm. um, it's the reverse uh, yes. in the second book where he's being distant to her because he keeps thinking that, oh, well, you know, she's not really human. Mm -hmm. She's not a full person. And it's obvious that that doesn't matter by the middle of that book when they're when they are thinking they're about to die <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're accepting death he at that point he accepts that he does love her yeah but, yeah, then, I think... he, but then as soon as that situation is gone it gets reset yeah I, I, yeah i think i think you can say that billings of the three protagonists billings is the one who has actual character growth because he eventually gets past that attitude and says oh i love her i'm gonna marry her so. yeah but it, but too, like I said, he's also the person that kind of conquers, quote unquote, conquers that world. Yeah. Because he makes friends with the natives. He goes and he finds somebody to, to love there. He mm. rescues Nobs and Nobs becomes his friend. He introduces horsemanship to the world. Yeah. He's the first cavalryman. That's cool. So, so at the end of this thing, he has not survived that world. He is gone and adapted to it and he's been able to kind of prove himself in it mm -hmm. i mean there are of course you know some some leftover vestiges of colonialistic kind of thought i mean at the end they do basically find the best of the women of the natives and take off with them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um yeah now i would define the third one almost as a horror story um, the hero city of skulls and the uh, culture based on assassination and the headless bodies floating in the river. Bradley. The third one. The third one is still a discovery exploration. One. Yeah. It's a horrific exploration. Yeah. He's discovered this culture and he's actually finding things out about it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the first culture you have to actually explore. Yeah. With civilization as such, but it's a morally inverted. Mm -hmm. civilization and that's part of what his discovery has to be yeah huh. so how does uh, that i'm kind of curious how does that switch to horror like how does it feel to the story well, like if you gone to the first the second Brad, the third? bradley bradley is captured by the weiro the winged men i think they yeah. hint at them very slightly in the book you've read and they hit at them they hint at them more overtly in the second book third book you find out for sure they're real uh, bradley's uh -huh. kidnapped and taken to the city of skulls and escapes and you know has to kill some of the weiro and finds out that they kidnap human women to mate with which is pretty horrific um when they assassinate each other they cut off heads and dump their bodies into uh, holes which come up in the river i think i mentioned beforehand there's a scene where he's wading through a river 
that were headless corpses floating by him in the near pitch dark. So, um, you know. Well, no, there's a problem in that the corpses that pass by him in the dark still mm. have heads. Yeah. It's, it's because he even goes in, it's one of those things that I feel like Burroughs lost his little train of thought mm. because he kind of has to retcon it mm. because he has a groping around the dark and he realizes that what he's grabbed is somebody's face and, and there's a body. And he does that twice. Mm -hmm. But then just a couple paragraphs later, he points out, well, they should be headless. And when mm -hmm. he gets out of the light, that's when he sees headless ones. Yeah. So um, it just, it just means that, that just means an occasional body gets dumped in with its head still attached. Um, yeah, I knew I forgot something. I kind of out loud how that happened. Yeah. Um, the other thing that goes to the horror point, though, mm -hmm. is the buildup of the Wiru. Yeah. Because they get a they get a glimpse of one pretty well, but it's so quick that each person is left with a different impression of what they have seen. And oh, their cool. personalities define how they're reacting to mm. this virtually skull-faced flying creature in tattered white robes. And somebody even describes it as a banshee and is convinced that they're going to die because mm. they have seen this. Cool. And yeah. it comes by every night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it and is kind of scares the bejesus out of whoever's on watch and eventually somebody does die and then somebody else sees it and they die the next day and they're like oh my god this is it this mm -hmm. thing is supernatural yeah even though the hero of that one bradley uh uh is is trying to go and not ascribe it supernatural attributes with all that they've seen you're mm -hmm. just saying it's something unknown but it's got to have a it's real it's mm -hmm. it's not something supernatural it's something we can explain hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, um, there's also kind of, I think, a, a scene that goes towards horror territory where he's, he is in that river and it goes through an open area before going underground again. So he has to, to not be seen. He has to like go underwater holding a corpse over him. Um, so that, you know, so, um, <laughs> so I, I think- well, I don't think he even held the corpse over him. Him. I think that he actually just took the robe off of the dead guy, wrapped yeah. himself in it, and took and, the then, and did that. Yes, I may be. I may be remember. Yes, I think I'm remembering it more horrifically than it was. But uh, <laughs> well, no, I but, mean having to look through the bloody gauze that was just yeah. around a dead body mm -hmm. while you're trying to play dead in an icy cold river. Yeah, with things you know watching you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a different kind of horror. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and we're interested. I think you were raising the excellent point about how as you got more advanced, they people could res the uh, the residents of Caspak could respond more uh, more readily to compassion. But then you get to the Weiros who consider themselves the most advanced, and showing compassion to one of them would have done no good at all. They were just too totally evil. So, well, no, you know, they're 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 totally in a might makes right kind of situation yeah almost. but they do have that weird because they're actually a theocracy in a way mm -hmm. because their ultimate power resides in he who speaks for luata mm -hmm. uh, something else that i thought was interesting is that in the second book when they introduced luata and uh billings notices 
that uh, Azure always makes the little isosceles triangle mm -hmm. whenever there's fire or when the sun comes up, you know, that sun worship kind of thing. I thought that was quite interesting because the little isosceles triangle is also the golden triangle. So mm -hmm. gold, the sun, they're adorned in gold. Um, it's like a sun ray. If you put a whole bunch of them around a circle, that's how we draw, you know, a very simple sun. And I also like the idea that an isosceles triangle has two equal sides and one shorter side. The lower forms of development, you know, even up to uh, the Krolu, the bowmen, mm -hmm. are that bottom triangle, mm -hmm. bottom piece of the triangle. The two equilateral sides are the Wiru and the Galu, who okay. can both reproduce, you know, they can have the no egg, mm -hmm. you know, the no egg births, and they have their own peculiar level of equality because the Galu, while they've got the advantage of we produce male and female no eggs, the Wiru, who can only produce male no eggs, can fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of a very balancing kind of thing because it's put oh. them very much at the top. They mm -hmm. have simple, you know, huts and palisades and things like that amongst the Galu, mm -hmm. but they have tiered apartment cities, <laughs> you know, amongst the amongst the Wiru. Uh, I got to say, the next time I'm helping in our church's nursery, I'm going to call all the little kids no eggs now. Oh. <laughs> 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 so, uh, <laughs> Okay. Um, Stop, no, wait, come okay. here. <laughs> well, just, just so let's go back to the first one. Do you have a particular favorite scene in it, do you think? Oof. Well, I, I really enjoyed when they first came up to, uh, came up out of the water in the submarine mm. and they just got to the island. Um, the, the suspense in leading through the, the underground passage, I thought was really great because mm -hmm. you really get that sense of if something goes wrong, then they're basically all dead. Yeah, um, but they get up and then they find the the monster in the lake and um, all the monsters in the in the little lake there and the little streams, um, which I thought was really cool. And I just thought that was just like a, a really great way to introduce the the dinosaurs and just to kind of ex, uh, explain and to show what this land will be about, mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome and cool. And yeah. it was just yeah, yeah. I thought just this a detail, but when they were eating Plesiosaurus steak later, and somebody said it might be the same one that ate the German and List didn't want to eat it anymore, I might have had the same reaction. You know, if there's <laughs> any chance at all that this would just ate one of the uh, crewmen, I don't know if I'd want to be the one to eat it. That would just feel weird. So, Man, that caught they, me off guard. I was like, oh, oh go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, they, they did point out, you know, that, oh, well, the odds are very low that this particular one would be that particular one. Yeah. And we've seen hundreds of these things, you know. Yeah. But, yes, uh, ironically, that to the earlier part of that, when they actually are just – sitting down and eating something that has not existed before in human existence, mm. you know, alongside when they're sitting down and eating it, that too is my favorite scene, but for a different reason. Mm -hmm. um, so Liz has been distant from, from Tyler, from Bowen, you know, for this period up to this point, mm -hmm. but when they sit down around the table to go and eat, Nob sits in between them 
and <clears throat> both of them feed knobs as they're eating and that is the moment that they start to reconnect so oh, man. So, yeah, I never thought of that. Uh, Nobs was Bowen's wingman, wasn't he? So, so. Yeah. Nobs is important in more regards than because Nobs also defends lists, you know, later from mm. the uh, was he a Bolu? I think so. He was he was kind of up there in the in the tribes. I can't remember how far along he was. That sounds right. Yeah, just, mm. yeah he, he, I can't remember if he was a hatchet man or if he mm -hmm. was yeah a fear man mm -hmm. um yeah so so yeah um uh but i did i did actually enjoy that last like battle where bowen fights hand to hand against the bad guy to save lists and he oh. just goes he himself goes totally caveman it was like this absolutely yeah you know, he's he was now yeah, a savage yeah. defending his mate <laughs> um and that's that's a common uh that's a common Burroughs thing too. You know, the, the, the women always need to be rescued. They're often intelligent and proactive and brave. They're not just damsels in distress, but they do need to get rescued fairly often. And she was the one who was like, you got a knife, man. Like you can use it. And he's like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I mean, that's maybe another thing that I like about the second book mm -hmm. is that, uh, Azure is Azure rescues, Billings. It's not uh, the other way around mm -hmm. in that particular instance. And she is, you know, much more apt. The, one of the little details that, you know, kind of shows the mindset still of the time. Mm -hmm. It's like you're only as progressive as your time period allows you to be. What's progressive for one time period is seen as behind the times, you know, 50 years later or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. But the the one thing that kind of got me was that at one point in the second book, when they're traveling along, uh, you know, Billings talks about how he, you know, is going to slow down or take it easy or whatever, because Azure must be getting tired when theoretically that would be the other way around. Yeah. You know, Billings is tough because he was a cow puncher and, and everything else. And that might let him keep up with someone who was born and bred for hundreds of years. You <laughs> mentioned that it takes like 700 years to mm -hmm. go through the cycle. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. So, so Ajor is no spring chicken, even though she looks like she's like 20 years old. So, <laughs> was, no, wait a minute. She was born in, uh, she didn't come up though. She was born. She was like the daughter of the chief, right? That's true. They do show yeah. uh, They do show later that she was a no egg. Yeah. But still, well, being no egg, we don't know how old she was. Because That's true. there doesn't seem to be any death from old age in this environment. And like they said, it takes 700 years mm -hmm. through one cycle. And they have to do seven cycles of that 700 years or whatever. Yeah, which is, which is why so few people... Yeah. yeah, which is why so few people make it. Because on Caspac, you're very likely to get eaten before seven years go, 700 years go by. So... Yeah. It's uh, it's that that's why that's why the the no egg woman are mm -hmm. so important. Yeah. And of course, that's who they take off with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did that? Uh, did, did did that? Now, I I'm not really that critical of Billings and Bradley uh, uh, at the end where they basically lie in order to get the girls on the submarine and get them away. No, because but, the uh, girls want but, to go. Yeah, the girls want to go. But it just, I was like, they were friends with these guys. I don't see what other option they had. 
but I always felt a little badly for uh, Ajor's dad and um, um, Kotan's family because they thought they were just taking a little joyride on the sub and we're going to be right back. And then they never saw him again. So, we're going to show him the inside of the sub. Yeah. It's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back, we'll be back in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one heck of a way to elope. So, um, but that does bring up an interesting question, you know, for kind of later. Mm. Um, is it some trick of biology or is it some trick of the place that people don't age? Is it possible that Azure and, and Kotan or whatever her name was mm. are not going to age <laughs> in the real world and they're going to outlive Oof. the men that they, that they came there with? They could still be around um, 20 years old now. I, I, I do think that they'll both be okay in the modern world because mm -hmm. Caspac is just so inhospitable. You don't want to be there. Yeah. You know, the happiest points that you can have is just like a little bit of safety, mm -hmm. but it's still not a guarantee. Um, yeah. As long as uh, Kotan has her man, mm -hmm. she's happy. Azure, I feel, will be even better off because Azure is, so, is shown specifically to be a curious person and to want to see new things. Mm -hmm. So she is going to be very happy in a whole new world to explore with all these things that she's never seen before. She's the kind of person that might turn into a scientist eventually herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is, there is a, this isn't canon because it was written by Burroughs, but there is a graphic novel, Tarzan at the, uh, in the land that time forgot, drawn by Russ Manning that came out in the 60s or 70s, I forget now, uh, where Ajor's daughter goes back to Kaspak to like, just just to see her roots. And Tarzan <laughs> comes along and, you know, the, there's, you know, dinosaurs and Wiro and war and all sorts of stuff going on before they get loose. It's not a good, awesome. it's not, it is awesome. It's great artwork too, but it uh, just proves that Kaspak isn't a great tourist destination. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so well, I mean, it's got a big keep out sign just because of the walls. Yeah, it does. Well, there, there's a ladder up that wall now, built in, built, you know, built by Billings crew. So, so yeah, anyone who wants would eventually because they just <laughs> drove, you know, the iron bars in and put planks on them to make yeah. steps. Yeah, uh, you'd probably, you yeah, if you found it nowadays, you'd probably have to repair it. But yeah. uh, <sighs> um, and you, you do learn from the second one: never dogfight with a pterodactyl. Uh, which is always good advice. Ah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah, so they used like an H16 Curtis, I think, mm -hmm. is also what they used in the film. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the most likely plane that they would be using. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the most interesting thing about that description is that they described the pteranodon, pterodactyl creature, as being like 80 feet long. That's bigger than like Rodan, I think. <laughs> I think it is. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, Burroughs, Burroughs was Burroughs was never great at paleontology. In one of the Pelusidor, well, these are not supposed to be the same life forms. They're just yeah. supposed to be similar ones. So I always that's like, true. Yeah, you can always say that. But in a in the uh, Tarzan at the Earth's core, where Tarzan goes to Pelusidor, there is a scene where a Stegosaurus jumps off a cliff and spreads its uh, uh, back plates out and glides down. So what? <laughs> How oh, does it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. I'm not criticizing it. I wouldn't take it out if I were editing that novel. I, I but, don't know how but, I feel about that. <laughs> but that's, that, that's, you know, well, uh, 
well, you know, no, here's another thing though, but here's another thing kind of related to what we were talking about mm. with uh, scientific plausibility, mm. right? Um, while it being able to somehow break its fall to create enough wind resistance or whatever mm. with, its, with its plates, the interesting thing is, is at the time, they thought that the plates were stationary. Mm-hmm. Right, that's that's what I remember for from the from that period of time that they thought the plates were stationary. Around the eighties or nineties, they started to think that there that there were signs that there were tendons that were attached to the plates that would allow them to manipulate the plates' position to go and follow the sun to keep themselves warm so, in their core temperatures. So Burroughs is oh, like cool. sixty. So Burroughs was like sixty years ahead of his time there. So, <laughs> he was so, the greatest so, scientist. Yes. So. <laughs> Um, but but two, uh, that was also before they started thinking that uh, that dinosaurs were um, oh were, were descended from birds instead of, or just, yeah or, but they were um, or ancestors of birds or whatever yeah you know that they could maintain their their internal body temperature on their own yeah they they that's that's fairly recent they they figured they were uh, cold blooded for decades and the warm blooded is been probably around at least 30 years now, if not longer, but it's, it's a lot more recent. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was around the 80s and 90s that that yeah. started to come up with uh, Bakker mm. and yeah. Dinosaur Jim. And... Yeah, and yeah. So, um, okay, well, we were, uh, before we started, we were mentioning the 1970, what, three or four movie, uh, Land of Time Forgot, with Doug McClure. Uh, the 70s, yeah. So, yeah, Josiah, you said you saw the trailer for that. So I did. watch that one in the sequel. They're fun. So I want to, uh, yeah. yeah, Ben, what do you think of Land That Time Forgot as a um, uh, as a faithful adaptation of the first book? Oh, neither of them are really faithful adaptations because, mm-hmm. for instance, um, Schoenvorts is a much nicer person in the movie. Yeah. Well, right? any in the movie, yeah. he he is a decent fellow. Yeah. 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 I will. I will side. mention. I will mention in um, when World War One was going on, in this novel and then in Tarzan the Terrible, he presented Germans as all like ruthless, horrible, evil people, and it actually came up to came back to bite him after the war, where he lost sales in Germany, and so there oh. are several there are several books written in the 1920s, including Tarzan at the Earth's Core, which have co-heroes that are all German. So he was trying to like say, okay, I know you guys aren't so bad. Sorry about that. That's interesting. So, yeah. Well, so, it was just propaganda of the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, I'm not criticizing it. And Schoenberg's yeah. actually a good villain. But yeah, because this, the movie was not made in World War One, they didn't go with the stereotypical Prussian evil guy. They made him kind of decent. They made his first officer a jerk. But um, Schoenberg himself was an honorable man. Um, and that is a major difference from the from the books, I agree. Uh, the plot, I thought, followed the movie. The, the, the movie Pretty followed well. the plot of the book fairly well, though. So, in one sense, it is fairly faithful. Yeah. Um, it, it, of course, it, it, in the in the movie, there's no question that the policiosaur they're eating is the same one that ate the German. So. Yeah, because they've only the got only one. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't afford multiple plesiosaurs. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, by modern CGI standards, the dinosaurs look terrible. But if you just accept them for what they are, I think the movie is very, very entertaining. And I, I think the cast is good. And I enjoy watching it. That's awesome. 
I'll be sure to give it a watch. Um, yeah, and, and the second one is also a very fun movie. If you ever do read the second and third book, uh, you'll go and you'll pick out the pieces that they went and they put in it, into it. Um, I, I, I wish that they had not uh, written out one of the characters. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. They added a, a little bit of tragedy there where I don't think it was necessary. Uh, but they did. Um, they and of course the Wiro or whatever tribe represented the Wiro. They they couldn't do wings and flying. They just didn't have the budget. And I kind of wish they had just not tried to do the third book um, and stuck with just the first one. It doesn't bother me that much, but it is definitely a very different take. Mm -hmm. uh, given that they can't fly, they don't have the wings, so it changes that piece of their culture. Yeah. They still keep a version of the malformed face. Mm -hmm. um, and they yeah. kept the skull architecture. <laughs> yes, which, which actually does look cool. When um, they're in a cell and Bowen's in the next cell and he talks to them by sticking his face into one of the skulls. So you see his eyes and mouth. Yeah. That, that's like, okay, that's one of my favorite movie bits of all time. Right there. So That's awesome. Yeah. My, my other favorite little bit of trivia, though, is that in one of the royal chamber kind of rooms, when they mm -hmm. like, meet the, the leader of uh, this green man mm -hmm. kind of individual. Um, the second one is a much more fantasy film. Yeah, it is. And, and you and my ultimate proof of this is that on the walls behind them, what are supposed to be art tapestries, are actually two blown up Frank Frazetta paintings. Are they? I've never noticed that. Now I have to watch them again just for that scene. I had never noticed <laughs> I've that. I listened to you before, and you're like. Was it? And you went and you looked and you're like, oh my God, they were. So <laughs> um, yeah, but that was actually uh, Tom Billings in that movie is uh, John Wayne's son. That's Patrick Wayne. Oh, cool. Yeah. He also played Sinbad in Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger. Huh. So he, has, he has quite a, he, has, uh, he did a lot of Westerns with his dad, but he has some science fiction, some solid science fiction cred from those two movies or fantasy cred, I guess you should say. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. Well, you guys have any last comments on um, either the trilogies or the movies? Did Ben? Did you ever watch the science fiction channel version of Land That Time Forgot? No, I saw that it existed, but I'm always kind of wary yeah. So of you're you're stuff. you are fortunate that you have not wasted any minutes of your life watching that abomination. Um, other than I, I do enjoy a scene where the beach submarine follows, fires a torpedo like it's a rocket to blow up a T-Rex, which as absurd as it is, was a fun idea. But other than that 10 seconds of the movie, it's awful. It doesn't even make sense in its own, uh, you know, they changed the plot of the original book quite a much and it doesn't even make sense in its own context. And it's poorly acted. And well, I mean, I find it interesting that they fired a torpedo like it was a rocket because mm -hmm. that literally makes as much sense as the stegosaur flying with yeah. its backboards. Well, it was one. It was something I accepted because it was a cool idea, not because it could happen in real life. So that's a rule of cool thing for me. So, but that was that was like the only entertaining moment in the entire film. It it was just it's typical. Uh, science, science fiction channel B movie, which is just tries tries to be so bad it's good, but it was only uh. succeeds in being bad. So, 
Yeah, I guess the only other criticism that I ever have is of the initial setup. Mm -hmm. Trying to get them off course and where they need to go. Ah. Um, that That's the only part where there's logic issues because it's mm -hmm. like you're in the channel. You don't need to get to where you need to get to. You can go and just drop everybody off in lifeboats and make for sure. Mm -hmm. You can go and ground the submarine and get off. You can put a white flag up and surrender to whoever is out there. <laughs> no one thought of that. Interesting. Yeah. When you're when you're crossing and they've messed up the uh, the, compass. The, the compass, every morning you're going to see the sun rising in the you know in the east and know which direction that you're kind of off and you should be correcting every morning because that's normal sailor stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and then yeah, then even if Bowen didn't think of that, Bradley and the others were sailors and they should have. Yeah, so. just too yeah, everyone is a sailor. <laughs> yeah. Except for lists. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. Oh well so that's, yeah. That's the only that's the only kind of like nitpick that I really have. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I just found yeah. the uh, the uh, the uh, the um, little partner they found uh, from one of the tribes. His name was Om. Om, that was it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and the only yeah. thing that I wish the the novel, the first one, the first part uh, would have had is like Om would have been like the uh, presiding like uh, officiator of the wedding at the very end. They would have found him. <laughs> they would have been like, "Do you take this woman?" Like, but grunting though. Then it would have been that would have been a legal wedding because they had. Somebody who was, uh, um, uh, the heck with it. So <laughs> that would have been funny, though. So I, I do uh, have two other points. Mm -hmm. Two other points. So one, I just have to mention the irony of somebody named Tippett being killed by a T Rex. Okay, that's fun. Because of Phil Tippett. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and second, in the Burroughs is Star Wars category, mm -hmm. you know, besides, you know, uh, Sith and Jeds and Jeddaks and yeah. Hadwars and uh, yeah, all the all the terms they that. seem to be drawing from the Martian novels. Yes, interesting. But, <laughs> but third book, mm -hmm. third book, uh, the guy he finds in the cell, Antok. Mm -hmm. um, true in Luke Skywalker Han Solo fashion. Thanks for being your brother, kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> that is cool. So I love Antak. Oh man, I that that ruins all my thoughts. <laughs> Wait, it's your brother? Thanks for being a brother, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I never made that connection before, but that is interesting. So um It's become played entirely differently. There's so much more yeah. tragedy. Yeah. In the Burroughs version. Mm hmm You know, it's not all Ewok hugs and yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I'll I'll mention is that you know uh, Burroughs never went back to Caspek because he had pretty much wrapped up the story there, uh, whereas Tarzan's Africa and Mars were both open-ended worlds of adventure. Caspek uh, <clears throat> served its purpose, but then he was kind of done with it, so he never went back to try and make it a series. And as much as I love Caspek and love these books, they are perhaps my favorite Burroughs books. I think he was right. I think there was no room to make it a series in any way. Although you could, you could probably come up with, with story ideas for that. 
I mean, you know, there was that graphic novel where Azor's daughter goes back. That Burroughs could have written something like that. So maybe. Well, no, I mean, I think the castback itself is large enough and all the things that are in it mm -hmm. are, you know, are enough that you can, it's as expansive as Africa. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, you know, even when you go and you add a little bit of Pellucidar and stuff to it. Um, yeah. But, but the thing is, is that his point about the story to, in his mind probably and what is being presented is that it is mostly connected by the overarching mystery of mm -hmm. the evolution of the place. And yeah. once he set that up and he set it up as a hierarchy that happens, mm -hmm. that explains that, that part. What's not super explored, you get little pieces of it, but it's the, it's the interactions of the uh, tribes mm -hmm. that exist. Yeah. So binary killer be killed. There's mm -hmm. very little interaction, and there's the you know the apex predator tribe, yeah. right? But yeah. the Galu have now had enough exposure to you know the advanced thoughts as. Uh, it's put in the third one because the the Wiro are supposed to have advanced thoughts, but they've gone off the rails with their toss odd, their right thinking. Um, but because you've introduced that, you could actually have a new layer of societal development in the Galu who either on their own or with some other outside impetus start trying to find a way to break down the tap boo between the tribes okay because that, everyone is scared of the weiru still <laughs> and the best would, way to uh, do that is to get everybody together to start hunting weiru wherever they're found that would actually make for an interesting story so so yeah so okay i will agree there is room for sequels and more adventures and all of that so um so okay guys um but then once again star wars Burroughs would be Star Wars because then you're trying to make an alliance to rebel. Yeah, against the, oh. against the yeah, that would be, wouldn't it? Uh, so, <laughs> okay, like, hmm, seems really similar well, somehow, some way. Okay, well, anyway, I appreciate you guys uh, guest starring on our podcast here and sharing your thoughts. This has been a fun conversation, I think. And, Absolutely, uh, and I think people yeah, will enjoy listening to it. About books two and three, if we ever mm -hmm. want to get together for more chit chat about that or something else. Okay, yeah. uh, I'll keep that in mind for the future. Yeah, Josiah, read more Burroughs, and I'll let you know soon if you're still in the family. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think you're right on <laughs> the edge all. there. Okay, uh, and uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, please keep an ear out for the, our regular full-length episodes. Uh, this will be posting in January of 2020. And we have an upcoming full-length episode about one of the new uh, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs Universe books that are being uh, licensed, which are being uh, uh, added to the canon by Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated. We'll be talking about huh. Tarzan and the Battle of Pellucidor. And uh, also the mini podcast we're doing currently, we are wrapping up a chapter-by-chapter -chapter analysis of Tarzan of the Apes. And after that, we'll be doing a chapter-by-chapter -chapter analysis of A Princess of Mars. Uh, for the mini podcast. So please keep an oh, ear out for that. Anybody who enjoys what we're doing, feel free to leave a nice review for us on iTunes. And uh, thank you everybody for listening.